Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Cyril Deramo. Hey Cyril, please introduce yourself. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Cyril Deramo. I'm uh, currently in the United States and I've been living here for the past uh, 14 years. Uh, but I'm originally French. I was born in France, um, in the north of France, in a town called Lille, next to Belgium. I'm uh, 46 years old, and I currently live uh, near San Francisco in California. I've done two ocean crossing. Uh, the first one was in 2016, part of the Great Pacific Race. So that's a race from Monterey to Hawaii. And I did that on a four-man rowing team. The team was called Team Uniting Nations, and we were one French, one Icelandic, one American, and one Brazilian. Uh, it took us 39 hour, a days and nine hours, I believe, to cross and arrive in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, we got the Guinness record for the fastest crossing in a classic four-man boat. The second crossing that I've done is in a kayak, not on a rowing boat this time, but uh, it was in 2022, so that's uh, six months ago. And it was a solo kayak, unsupported, and 100% uh, human-powered from Monterey, California, and again to Honolulu. So I did the same mid-Pacific crossing, uh, but this time on uh, my ocean kayak. Her name is Valentine. She's a 7-meter long, 23 feet long kayak, so um, a different paddling, paddles, I would say, a different paddling technique. Instead of oars, I was going with uh, kayak paddles. And that one was not through a race or anything, it was just independent. I had the boat built in England, uh, shipped to California, and then took me a few years uh, to be able to cross because 2020 there was COVID, so I had to postpone it. My boat was not arriving in California. And the year after I did the first attempt, that lasted for a week and I had to be rescued at sea. And the second attempt was successful last year in 2022. We like to start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? When I moved to California, I was 32 years old. And until then, I had only been a soccer player. I lived in, in many countries before arriving in the United States. Like I said, I'm French, um, but at, after my high school, I did an international uh, business school, uh, which took me one year in Oxford, England, one year in Madrid, Spain, and one year in Paris, France. After that, I uh, moved to Italy for a year and a half, and then I did a trip around the world for one year, uh, backpacking. Very cheap budget, but probably the best time of my life, I would say. Um, after that, I moved to Brazil for six months, and then found a job in France for a year before I left for Argentina for a year and a half. After Argentina, I went back to France for a year, and then I moved to the United States for the past 14 years. And like I said, I moved to California. I had never kayaked before, but a friend invited me to start the Adriger canoe. It's uh, those Polynesian canoes that uh, are like one main hull of six people in, in a ama. Uh, a, f a float on the side. And uh, I started at the very beginning, races of eight miles. And then after that, the first goal was to 
do what we call the Catalina Crossing, which is an island offshore of Los Angeles. And that's about 32 miles. Um, took about five hours. And the next goal was to do the Molokai Hoi, which is a race between the islands of, of Hawaii. And they call it the World Championship. It's one of the biggest race of the year. Um, so it's 43 miles. It takes about six hours, uh, again, on a six-man canoe. And I did that four times. I really enjoyed it every time. And I kind of pushed my own limits to do that six-hour crossing. And so I started to look at other races. And there's one uh, going down the Sacramento River. Um, that's about 100 miles. So I did that in 12 hours. And I did pretty good. I enjoyed the ultra endurance aspect of it and learning more about uh, hydration and, and fueling and the right gear. So uh, the next thing was looking at another race in Canada called the Yukon River Quest. Uh, the Yukon River Quest is up in Yukon Territories, uh, going down the Yukon River. It's about 444 miles long, and it takes about uh, 45 to 55 hours, depending on the boat. And I've done this race three times. First in a six-man canoe, on, then on a four-man canoe called a C4, and then on a two-man canoe called a C2. And after that, I stumbled, stumbled upon the website of the Great Pacific Race um, from Chris Martin that says, you know, you, you don't have to be a rower to cross an ocean. It's, uh, you know, it's mostly in the head and the mental side of it. So I looked into it. I started to learn how to scull, and that was my dream to cross. So first, I wanted to be part of the 2014 uh, edition, but I couldn't uh, gather the money for that. Um, so I had to postpone uh, for the 2016, and with a pay per seat option, then I could gather other rowers in the team. And uh, we're going for, uh, for the record, that was 42 days at a time. Then I finished and I thought it was like the hardest thing that I had ever done. So I said, never again. But uh, uh, then my sport was a, a boat called Surf Ski, which is a performance kayak. Very fast, very tippy, but super fun. Any kind of swell, you know, you can, you can ride it. Uh, so it's really fun. I, and, and so kayaking was really my main sport for a couple of years. And that's when I started to say, um, okay, maybe I could kayak across an ocean. I looked into who had done it before, and there were only four people. Um, I called them, and I asked them about the experience. And I think... Well, because I had the experience of my first crossing and, and knew the gear and knew the navigation at sea and the survival and kind of the state of the ocean, I, I thought I could do it in a kayak. So I decided to uh, f fund um, for find sponsors and, and, and fund uh, the boat building by this fellow called Rob Filoy in England, who had previously built a boat for Peter Bray, who Peter Bray kayaked the North Atlantic from Canada to Ireland in 2001. Um, so I had the boat ready, uh, but it couldn't be shipped in 2020 because of COVID. Everything was on lockdown, so I had to postpone it to 2021. First attempt for a week, uh, really bad weather. After a week, I was stuck in the cabin, which is much smaller than a rowing, rowing boat cabin for three days. And then I had a, an issue with my sea anchor that was getting entang entangled into the rudder. So out of safety protocol, I decided to, uh, to call it. Coast Guard came, picked me up, and then I had to postpone a new departure for 2022, uh, which I did. And I crossed uh, this time from Monterey instead of my first attempt was from the Golden Gate in San Francisco. So I left from Monterey uh, in June 
2022, and it took me 91 days and nine hours uh, to get to Hilo uh, on the big island of Hawaii. Now, for the reason why I wanted to row across an ocean, I think I, I listed all the steps because I didn't decide one day from another. Uh, I think it just went um, from one expedition to another, from one race to another, and kind of filling my, um, my capacity and my thresholds, uh, you know, changing. What used to be a six-hour crazy race, uh, you know, was then half a day of paddling pretty much. <laughs> so then I felt, you know, I, I could do it. Um, it was within my reach. And the bigger the, re the, the goal, the bigger the work that has to be done to, to make it happen. So every time it took me a little bit longer, uh, up to four years from my kayak crossing. Um, but um, yeah, I just uh, was happy to be able to, to reach my goal every time. My goal for the first crossing was really to get the experience on a rowing boat with a team and learn a lot. Uh, our goal was to cross and, and beat the record. So it was really motivated by performance. Uh, my second crossing was very different. I wanted to go for the adventure. I didn't want to have the pressure of, uh, of mileage per day. I, obviously, I wanted to do a certain mileage a day, but it was not uh, mandatory to go as hard every time. And, 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 and I felt the pressure was, was down and I enjoyed it so much more. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. I would say that for both crossings, I think one of the highlights definitely is when you see land. And you know, that means the end of the hard journey. But uh, the number two is, is definitely arriving and having completely released all the stress of the ocean and stress physical, mentally, emotionally, and be able to release it all and just enjoy the success and, and be proud of the team and be proud of uh, the journey that had been done and, and uh, starting to kind of step back slowly from the adventure and trying to, to understand, you know, what happened and how, what did we learn and, and how we got better as people. Another highlight is, is definitely every time was um, the birds that came to pass by and, and visit. And for me, the, the birds have a big significance of uh, just having a human, like a, not a human, but to have a, a living creature come by. It just makes you think that, yeah, okay, I haven't seen a human being in a long time, but uh, life is still here. And, and somehow the birds were really looking out for me, for my safety. Yeah. So that was very, uh, very beautiful to see the birds coming by every day, almost every day. Um, another moment uh, for me is a sunrise. Uh, the sunset, usually I'm just so tired to go to cabin and, <laughs> and uh, don't really see them too much. But uh, the sunrises uh, were always like, a great, great uh, piece, 360 degrees around you, uh, probably one of the best view or just to, to be at peace when it's, it's calm. Uh, those are, were the great moments of the crossing. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? I think for the first crossing, which was always looking forward to performance and beating the record, I think the physical side was really hard. Um, because we would not allow ourselves to really cool down every minute we had to do, you know, the, for example, the, the shift between the crews, we would go very fast, uh, not giving ourselves even a, 
a second, you know, it had to be like swished, go. We didn't want the boat to stop at all. And, and that's very tiring physically. Um, I think the technique of rowing is, is more efficient than kayaking uh, because you can use your legs. So that makes it for a full body workout on my second crossing. Well, the kayaking, you know, it's, it's less efficient. The boat seems to be heavier because although it's not as heavy, uh, it's not as efficient to be paddling with a double blade paddle. So I would say that the second crossing for me was a little bit harder mentally because I was alone. And that's a whole different board game between a team of four where you could be tired, you could have hallucination, you could be exhausted, uh, you could be seasick, but somebody's always looking out for you where it says, hey, how are you doing? Maybe take a break or maybe do, do this or do that. When you're alone, it, it just changes the game completely because you have to be self-aware at all times of everything that's happening. Uh, so it does uh, that, you know, checking in with yourself of everything that's happening that makes it uh, tiring mentally. But I would say, I mean, no matter what, crossing an ocean is hard. There's no way around it. Uh, but the hardest, the quest, you know, the hardest the reward, that's how I look at it. So both of them were highly rewarding personally. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? For me, the first one, uh, I think that I think that I missed the most was being able to turn off the intensity and relax and just enjoy the moment. I think even once I was on a down, downtime and not rowing in the cabin, there was always something to do, you know, between uh, eating very early and then the hygiene and then taking care of your little wounds and maybe sleeping for 45 minutes and then getting back to getting ready uh, for to be on deck. Uh, for me, that was, that was really hard. And what I missed is just that downtime. And I felt it a lot when I arrived. Uh, the first crossing was, wow, I don't have anything to do. Like I can sleep as much as I want. And <laughs> that felt great. Obviously, excluding people. I think for me, the people is what, what I miss the most. But uh, the second would be the food. I think, uh, you know, you, you, you can handle the, the freeze-dried meals. It's okay but then you lose all the pleasure of eating. And I think for me, um, being French, I think, you know, we take so much pleasure in, in eating good food that uh, having a warm meal and maybe a cold drink and, and just take time, time and relax to eat is not just about calorie intake, something that I missed a lot. How much training did you do before the row? My first crossing was a lot of unknown. So we relied on the information of one rower uh, for the training and I did a lot of training and, and, and the reason was a very simple it was we didn't want to feel that we had undertrained. and um, you know Chris Martin told us you know well it, it's going to be hard right it's what no matter what your body's going to adapt to the intensity of the workout so whether it takes a week two weeks or three weeks your body's going to adapt but the it could be really hard. So if at any point you think that you didn't train enough, then you're going to start attacking your mental. So if you feel like you've done your homework as hard as you've trained, then once it's hard on the boat, then you can reassure yourself like, yeah, I knew it was going to be hard, but I did my homework and I'm okay, I'm fit. So then your mental is staying at the best. Now for, for my second crossing, 
in a kayak being alone, it was well, it had different muscle groups. But what I wanted is not super strength and, and pure uh, uh, intensity of like uh, of muscles. But what I wanted is actually to train more my tendons because my my tendons and the ligaments is what is going to suffer for repetitive actions. So I, I did a training, I did an assessment with a professional. We did a VO2 max and lactic acid thresholds to see where I was and, and then gave me a protocol that was pretty much uh, long hours at a 140 beat per minute. And I didn't want to do just kayaking because then I could have injuries before I started. Uh, so really my idea was to have a very well-trained body as an entirety. So I did a lot of cycling, I did canoeing, kayaking, I did yoga, I did mountain biking and running. So I mixed, but every time I tried to have the intensity of 140 beat per minute heart rate for long hours, and then I wouldn't do 10 hours straight. I would do two hours and stop, two hours and stop. Um, then I would have my four hours. If I only do six hours, I would not do six hours straight. I would do two hours on, stop two hours. Two hours on, stop two hours. Two hours on, kind of reproducing slightly what the, my, my pattern would be. Uh, but really, what I wanted to feel was solid, like strong enough, healthy, meaning my immune system had to be really strong, but also I didn't want to have any injury whatsoever. And that was my driving force for the whole training. Every time I felt like there was some kind of little injury coming, I would rest and work another group of muscles. Did you suffer from any injuries, sores, nasties, or sickness? On both my crossing, I was seasick. And that's uh, never really a good thing. Uh, That's never really enjoyable. Uh, But... Because I had the experience of it on uh, other sailing expeditions, I knew that it would pass. Uh, You know, I had my patch bay on the ears, but still, I'm always seasick for a few days, three, four days. So that means that I'm uh, vomiting and I'm trying to keep the water down and try to keep eating a few things. I know I won't have any will to eat anything, but in that case, I know that oatmeal for me works really well. So I had the right food and I kept electrolytes on any drink. So um, then I would still be hydrated. Now, I would make sure that the color of my pee would be, you know, the, the right one. And sometimes I would have to wake up in the morning just to make sure I would drink enough uh, for the first week. But in terms of injuries, I was really lucky. I've never had any muscle or, or injury or, or articulations and you know, tendons, etc. Really, I was lucky not to have any injuries. I guess that's because I, I did some uh, good training. Now, my first uh, crossing I had butt sores. Uh, we had the right cream to treat it, and just had to push through. It was only for forty days. Uh, the second crossing, I had no sores whatsoever, uh, just because on a kayak I'm sitting down on the position and my butt not moving around. So that means you know, if I if I do the right hygiene because of a cleaning. Uh, my butt, every time I get off the seat, um, removing any sea salt um, that could have been in there and making sure it's really well cleaned, then uh, I knew that it was going to stay sane um, 
and good. So I, I was really on top of it. So luckily I was not too much uh, bothered by that. Can you think of three songs which remind you of your row? Uh, well, on my crossings, I was always listening to music, especially the second one because I was alone. So that was uh, some sort of a reward that I would give myself. Uh, I would not listen to the music all the time, but mostly um, the last two hours of the morning and the last two hours in the afternoon, just as a reward. And my taste in music is just all over the place. I told you earlier that I lived in Brazil, in Argentina, in Spain, Italy, in Portugal. So, so it's it's really eclectic. So I don't have one particular song um, that comes to mind, but uh, yeah, I would sing maybe one group, which is Dire Strait is uh, the one that was listening the most because I had downloaded all the songs from them. I just love Mark Knopfler and uh, maybe that would be him, I guess. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? On my first row, I did not suffer from any post-adventure blues. I think the fact that we were all together through it all uh, made it that when we arrived, we were all happy together. And that was a support that made it really easy for me to adjust back to normal life. I had a job that was waiting for me, so I went back to normal life right away. On my second crossing, it was very different. Um, I had stopped my job, so then I could take as long as I needed to cross the ocean. It took me three months. So I don't think I've had any depression. Um, I did feel a little bit of the blues, I think, uh, but... Uh, not crazy. I think for me, it was maybe the, the difference between being alone in the ocean completely for 90 days and the, the chaos, a little bit of having so much people and so much attention from the press and TV and podcast and, and all that at the very, at the very first months. And I would say like even the, all the family and friends that were about like 10, 15 that arrived at, uh, to see me in Hawaii. After a while, you know, I was, I was happy to go back to my room and, and, you know, just explaining everything that had happened. It was just a little bit overwhelming. Another thing that I felt was, although I really wanted to share all the experiences that I had lived, I felt like somehow, no matter how much detail I would give, they would not understand. When I said how it was really a spiritual journey. After a halfway point, day 50, it started to be completely different for me in my head. And I tried to explain that, but uh, somehow they're, they're, you always think, okay, they, they don't get it. They can't get it. <laughs> so it was not a blues, but it was like a reality is that uh, it's just how it is. And I would just find fight satisfaction in talking to other rowers and other adventurers, ultra endurance, that I could actually uh, understand what I meant. And that, that was really good. Another thing was um, I really tried not to rebalance and not to give myself another expedition, another goal right away. I gave myself at least three months before I would decide on anything. And um, it's true, at some moments I wanted to go back to regular life and have a new job and a regular job, um, a nine to five, just to have stability. But other times I said, there's no way, I just kind of go back on the ocean. I need to live a life of adventure. So that was not easy. Um, and uh, three months later, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back on the ocean. I'm going to give myself two years to do that. And the idea is to cross the Atlantic in a kayak uh, at the end of 2024. So that would uh, answer both need of having stability for the next two years of maybe having a, a, a job that is, you know, months to months, very stable, but also the idea of keeping 
the adventure alive in my head. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? I think the first advice that I would give is to make sure that you really want to row an ocean. And it's not just the idea of rowing an ocean that is seducing uh, because I think I've seen it many times that people think it's great to be rowing an ocean, but the reality is, is very different than the picture that one has of it. So if you do want to row an ocean, make sure you research it, you look at videos, you look at what fear factors and risks are associated to such an adventure. And it's not just the seducing idea of going on a boat and crossing an ocean that is attractive to you. A second advice that I would do is choose your team. If you do go with several people, make sure that your goals are aligned and also that you can agree on the objectives that you want to reach. For my first crossing, it was really beating the Guinness record. That's what put us together in the boat. And whenever shit hit the fan, like we're saying in the US, when, when things were going wrong and hard, then we would go back to that objective. But I think it's interesting also to, to write down together as a team who you are uh, as people and as a team and what you want out of this experience and how you promise to look at hardship and solution building as uh, you prepare for the boat crossing and, and before you're even in the boat. A third advice and the last one would say Make sure you really want it. It's, it's not something that you, you could just want a little bit. Once you decide to go for it, you have to go 100%. That means it's going to take capacity in your brain, mental capacity and thought process. It's going to take finance. It's going to take time away from your family and friends. And, and, and you really have to be driven by a, a true motivation that cannot be fake. So if you want it, I want it 100%. And finally, would you do it again? After my first crossing in 2016, I definitely said I'm never going to do that again <laughs> because it was really hard. Two hours on, two hours off. Really lack of sleep and sleep deprivation and losing a lot of weight, hardship physically, mentally. So I said, no, I'm done. Uh, but, um, you know, never say never. And, and when the idea of doing it in a kayak came, um, I just thought, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. And I went for it and, and I had a blast, like literally it was, it was just amazing to be alone on the ocean and I'm an extrovert. So I didn't think I would be okay being so long, so long alone, but, uh, yeah, I loved it. So to the question, would I do it again? I think I will. Uh, my idea is to cross the Atlantic now in a couple of years. And, and my reason is I think I'm the ocean is calling me again. Um, I know it's going to be hard, but I, I get so much satisfaction from being on the ocean that I think that I want to feel it again. I want to feel what it is to be alone again. I want to feel the, the beauty of, of the waves and, and the ocean and nature and be, the universe. And again, the spirituality uh, and the ideas that, that are born in my, my brain, uh, being alone, uh, I really like it. I really love it. So I'll see. And I, I think, you know, I've, I've done enough experience in the 90 days of my first crossing that the second one 
should uh, should be very different than the first one. Maybe less fears, maybe less stress. I mean, there's so much different between the first months at sea and the last months at sea. Uh, you know, the, the same waves that just, you know, you're accustomed to them. So I think the, the, the Atlantic could be very much pleasurable and uh, I'm looking forward to it. If I can make room for it in my life and I can find the sponsors and support in the team, then yes, I'll do it again. Huge thank you to Cyril for sharing his story and all of his advice. That kayak journey looked so cool. I like the fact that you're facing forwards, even though the view is the same. It feels different psychologically, I think. Really looking forward to following his next trip. If you're an ocean rower and you would like to share your story, please get in touch. Either drop me an email to theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or send me an Instagram DM at the Ocean Rowing Club. If you're enjoying the podcast, tap those five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like, share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we complete Team Generation Gap. Toodle pip!